Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is an idea. I'm calling this those who will not touch God's glory. That's what I want to look at this morning. And, and really by that, what I mean is the, the, the warning to mankind in the Scripture that they do not seek to touch, or, or maybe a better word, to steal God's glory. And God says here, I am, I am Yahweh, my glory I give to no other. And yet, throughout the Bible, brethren, and, and throughout history too, we see many who want to take for themselves the glory that is rightly God's. Um, and we'll see shortly what happens to the people who do seek to put out their hand and touch that forbidden ark of God's glory. But we also see different people in the Bible, and, and certainly throughout history as well, a different, kind of, a different kind of person. We see people, men and women, who wouldn't dare put out their hand to steal the glory of God, to snatch away what is rightfully God's. And so we, we see examples of, of the godly who won't touch God's glory. And brethren, these are certainly uh, characteristics worthy of emulating. And we want to see them, we want to we act in like manner. Because we see in the Scripture, brethren, all things are, are ultimately culminating to the glory of God. Paul ends, and we, we saw this passage as the brethren were preaching through Ephesians. We saw that Paul comes to this glorious explanation of salvation. And at the end of that explanation in chapter 1, verse 14, he says that all of it is to the aim of what? to the praise of His glory. This is what all of this is aiming towards. And um, brethren, listen, there's, there's a quote. Sergio has told me it some time ago, and we tried to find it, and we can't find who it is, so I don't know who says it, but someone says this somewhere. <laughs> and, and it is most proper to be said here for us. But listen to this, brethren. God, God would entrust men and women with much, if he knew they would not try to steal his glory. This is the great problem of mankind, brethren. This is, this is what we must deal with. And so God help us to, to tremble, not to put out a hand to touch God's glory. And I want to address something here, sort of right at the start, that, that ties in to uh, what Aaron had talked about last week. So if you remember, Aaron preached last week about the Christian conquering and then attaining glory. Now, of course, the ideas he put forward uh, of attaining glory had nothing to do with the Christian receiving praise and honor and, and pats on the back. Rather, it was an, the, the reference was to things like eternal life, the resurrection, um, always being and, and seeing the presence of the glory of God. It was this idea that if you would conquer sin and conquer trial, you would attain glory. That being uh, the glory of God's eternal life with Him in His presence forever. So, so in that regard, there's not really much to say. However, I, I had a conversation with, with Minos after that sermon, and I, and I think I heard 
Uh, Kyle, you talking with Aaron about something similar, although I didn't really get to ask about it. But because of that, I, I wanted to address this, right? And this is the idea that, that the Christian being a conqueror or even thinking about themselves as a conqueror could, could leave you open to receiving glory for yourself rather than giving the glory where it seems it ought always to be given to God. And, and it's possible that some of you maybe kind of had this same thought as well. Maybe the potential of, of feeling uncomfortable, maybe thinking of yourself as a conqueror. Maybe, maybe you recognize that, that there is certainly a danger to be had in this kind of thing. If we, don't, if we don't hone it in properly, a great temptation to give glory to yourself or receive glory to yourself rather than, rather than to give glory where it belongs to God or even potentially, and we don't want to leave this out, brethren, there's potential for this too, that maybe you do very much like the idea of being a conqueror, and, and maybe even a little too much, maybe because you are already taking what does not belong to you, the glory of God, taking it for yourself. Maybe you've already been stealing from God's hand, receiving the praise of men and not turning around and giving that God, giving that glory to God where it belongs. And, and maybe this idea of you being a conqueror bolsters your own pride in this kind of thing. And so whatever the case may be, I want to, by God's grace, try to set that straight this morning. Um, and so I want to I deal with a brief thought here before we, before we get into the, the main idea of what I'm trying to cover this morning. And this has to do with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 about differing glories. Um, and I hope it gives you some clarity about both God's glory and and ours, if, if we are to have any. And so first, before you go there, 1 Corinthians, before you go there, take note of our passage that we just read in Isaiah 42, verse 8. Now let me ask you a question, because this is really important in terms of how ought we to understand this concept of God's glory, our glory, if we're to have any, and, and attributing everything. How, how do we understand this, right? I want you to just think about this, this verse, verse 8 of Isaiah 42. And I want you to tell me, does this passage say, I am Yahweh and I give no glory to another? Huh? No. Does it say that? No. <laughs> Manny's saying no. Everybody else, no, right? The answer is no. It does, the passage does not say, I am Yahweh and I give no glory to another. It does not say that. The passage actually says, my glory I give to no other. And this is a very important distinction, brethren. God is not interested in sharing His glory. There are, if you go through Isaiah, you'll find it over and over and over again. There are none like God. And therefore, God will not give His glory to any. However, there is a glory that God does give. And I mentioned it a second ago, 1 Corinthians 15. You can go there if you want. But 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul is addressing this idea of differing glories. And he speaks of, of our resurrected bodies in verse 40 of 1 Corinthians 15. And here's what he says. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Now watch how he, now watch how he sort of associates these. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. And then he, he goes on to say this, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so brethren, we need to understand this, right? That God is distributing out varying degrees of glory to these things, right? He's not giving these things His glory, but he is giving them their glory, their own glory. And it differs from one another. Even, brethren, star differs from star in glory, as Paul says to us. And brethren, here's the thing. It is the same for us, for, for mankind, as God's creation, as the pinnacle, no, no less, of God's creation. You have a glory all your own. And brethren, there's nothing wrong about that. This is how God has designed things. In fact, Psalm 8 even says as much. I want you to look at this. Psalm chapter 8. And let's read here verses 3 through It says, When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor you have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea whatever passes along the paths of the sea O Yahweh our Lord how majestic is your all the earth. Now, listen, brother, and I recognize that this passage is used uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and it certainly does have its greatest fulfillment in Christ. That, as Hebrews says, he was made for a little while lower than the angels and then brought to his exaltation. But, brethren, don't forget the fact that as David pens this psalm, there is a real context to what David has to say. He's, when we see Christ as the fulfillment of the scriptures, that doesn't mean that that stuff written back there didn't have anything to do with anything until Jesus came around. So, so what David is saying here is he speaks of, of mankind in general as, as the pinnacle of God's creation. And what has he bestowed upon them? Glory and honor. As a, as a position of glory and honor above creation, above the animals, right? He names all these things in there. And so, brethren, and, and, and of course he says in there as well even, right? that he's placed him below the angels. So, so whatever glory we have is, is below the angels. But nonetheless, brethren, he has given them glory and honor in position and status. And even beyond this, we looked at this passage on Wednesday. 
we're told by Paul that not only do we have a glory all our own as human beings, as God's creation, but as we are being more and more transformed into the image of Christ, what is happening to your glory and my glory? It is, it's being moved from one degree to another, then from that degree to the next, right? First, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we can look at this again briefly. says here, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so brethren, to put this very simply, let me put it like this, right? There is greater glory to be attained by you as a Christian. That is just simply biblical truth. We don't need to shy away from that. Brethren, even Jesus can, can say, listen to these words. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this, John 17, 22. In praying to the Father, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That's something else, brethren. That is something else right there. This is shocking stuff if we really take this in. And so my prayer genuinely for all of you, is that you would attain greater degrees of glory in this life than, than I would ever achieve by the, time, by the time I'm dead. But, I've been arguing to you this whole point, right, of embracing the glory that God desires to give. And yet, does anybody remember what my, the whole point of my sermon is at the very start? Not touching God's glory, not stealing God's glory. And so, let me then call your attention to this, the last part of this verse we just read here. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Listen to what Paul is very careful to add. He says, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Brethren, it seems this particular point simply cannot be, be left out. Because for all the glory that God is willing to give, there is always a proper resting place for all glory to finally come back. And that, my friends, is, is nowhere else other than the Lord of glory Himself. And so this brings us all the way back, right, to, to the original point that I'm wanting to get at. Yes, as, as God's creation, there is a glory to be had by you, and, and even a greater glory to be attained by you in this life, as you are transformed more into the image of Christ. But brethren, here's the thing, right? As it was in everything else that God made, stars have a glory, right? He puts all these things in 1 Corinthians, all have this glory. And you too have a glory. Brethren, if God has given you a glory, don't try to put your hand out and steal His. This, this is the concern for us in the Scriptures. Be careful lest you seek too much. 
and steal God's glory. Listen, this is Jesus' prayer in John 17, 1. And it is a very proper prayer for us too. He says, Father, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Brethren, this is proper for us to pray. Father, raise me to new heights of glory, even to use Aaron's words last week, to make me a conqueror in glory. But what is the ultimate end for such things? That I might glorify you. This is the end to which we must be aiming. Brethren, you have to remember, God's glory is the final act in this thing. All that God does or gives Even His bestowing of glory upon you as His creation is ultimately intended to come back to Him in praise and glory and honor. And brethren, to rob Him of that is to steal from God Himself. And and David knew this. Listen to these words, Psalm 62, 6 and 7. David says, He only, speaking of, of God, is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Now listen to the words. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. He he says again in Psalm 30, 11, and 12, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that, now listen, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Yahweh my God, I will give thanks to you for... Yes, brethren, this is a man... Who, who will not touch God's glory. Oh, God gave him a glory, no doubt. God gave him a glory. But David is happy to return all of it to its proper resting place, to God. To return it all to the giver, right? He says, on God rests his salvation and his glory. Not upon himself. David's glory, brethren, is so that he would sing God's praises and not be silent. And so the, the point, brethren, is, is that our what we, we always need to be directing ourselves to the fact that God's glory would be our aim. Listen to these words in Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. What a word, brethren. It is not glorious to seek your own glory. It is, however, quite glorious to seek the glory of another, to seek the glory of God. Brethren, this, is this not put forth in the Bible as the constant motivator for all that we do? Listen. Certainly, you could think of some of these passages, but let me see if I can draw these out from you, right? Clearly, in the Scriptures, you are to do good work so that God would be glorified. Where does this come from? (laughs) From the Gospels. That's an answer. Matthew Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good work. Now listen, brethren, I just, let me, this is not in here, but I just need to mention this, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of thought in Christianity that would rather read this verse like, don't let your light shine lest someone say something good about you. That's not what the Bible says, brethren. That's not biblical ways of living, right? There is a false humility that is no good. This says, let your light shine. Why? So that they might see your good works. Well, but Jesus said, don't just let them know what your right hand is doing. Nobody should know what your good works are. No, Jesus is saying, do your good works, right? Do them, but there's an end to this thing. Not so that they would praise you. What an abominable thing. Don't let that happen. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Brother, this is the driving aim for you, doing good works, so that God would be glorified, right? What about this? You are to bear fruit as a Christian, to display yourself as a disciple, so that God would be glorified. Anybody know where this comes from? John 15, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. What? That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The driving aim, brethren, in all of this is that you would glorify God. How about this? We pray so that God would answer our prayers so that He would be glorified. Anybody know where that comes from? Another close area there. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How about this? These ones are a little more obscure. We, we evangelize, right? And we seek to bring the gospel to broader and broader places. That the grace of God would have a greater and greater effect. Anybody have an idea where that might come from? There's a verse that actually says such a thing. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4 13 through 15. Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Now listen. For it is all for your sake, so that as, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see this, brother? This, Paul's thought here is, brethren, we're going out and we're bringing this gospel to the world. Why? So that as grace goes out more and more broadly in the world, there's a lot more people that are glorifying God. Paul's aim is that God would be glorified in all of this. How about this? We serve one another in the church with our gifts that God has given us and with love and with hospitality and forgiveness so that God would be glorified. Anything? First Peter. First Peter 4, 8 through 11. He says, above all, keep loving one another. Now notice all the things he's going he's gonna to pack into this. 
Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So you got love, you got forgiveness. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, now he's, now he's lumping in here spiritual gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, brethren, what do you think the end is for Peter? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brethren, in this, undoubtedly you know this, in quite literally all that you do, you are to do it to the glory of God. Where does this come from? Maybe you don't know exactly where it is, but certainly you know at least part of that verse. No, not that. (laughs) You're you're thinking of a different... I was going to put that passage in here too, but I didn't put that passage in here. 1 Corinthians 10, brethren. So whatever... Here he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the driving aim for Paul. Whatever you're doing, do it to the glory of God, brethren. The glory of God must be your aim in all things. Men and women who will not touch God's glory, they are quick to do like it says in Psalm 29. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due His name. They're quick to do like we read there in Psalm 115, right? What well, what was the words of the psalmist in what Psalm one fifteen that 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 Kyle just read? Not to us, right? Not to us, O Yahweh. Not to us, but to Your name give glory. Brother, this is a mark of the faithful. They refuse to take from God what is rightly due to Him. And we see many examples of these kinds of faithful saints in the Scripture, right? Those who are, who are not concerned to receive the praise of men, but are happy to attribute all goodness and glory and honor to God. Can you think of any? Any, any examples that might come to your mind of people who do such things? Paul certainly does so in his letters. Let me think of... Let me pose it a different way. An example where we see it happening. Anything come to your mind? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have one. I think he gets bit by the, that snake and then they bow down. Okay. You're mixing stories, but you, there is one there in Acts. We're going to look at it. Of Paul, nonetheless. Any others that you guys, that come to your mind? People who are properly attributing glory to God. Well, I have, I have uh, four. I want to briefly look at these. The first one, Joseph. Genesis 41. You can go there. Genesis 41, 
Joseph gives glory to God when he stands before Pharaoh to interpret his dream. Uh, If you remember right, Pharaoh has his dreams and he's wanting someone to come and interpret these dreams and he can't find anybody. And so eventually the the cupbearer who remembers Joseph from in prison tells Pharaoh and he brings Joseph in. And listen to this, right? Chapter 41, verse 15. Here's what Pharaoh, Pharaoh sends to Joseph, and this is what he says to him. I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And notice, brethren, what takes place here. In verse, in verse 16, here's Joseph's response. Joseph answered Pharaoh. I like these words, brethren. It is not in me. (laughs) It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And and that's not the only time Joseph does this. He two more times in his response to Pharaoh gives the glory to God. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, he says, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then just a bit more later on, verse 28. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So, brethren, here's what's taking place. Joseph is is refusing to exalt himself. But he's giving God the credit and the glory for what's taking place, this interpretation of this dream. And you know what happens as a result, brethren? Eventually, you know who else gives God the glory? Pharaoh gives God the glory. And, and, And he recognizes that Joseph is really nothing but a messenger. Look what it says in verse 38 and 39. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? In whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Brother, initially, Pharaoh calls Joseph and he says, I hear that you can give me interpretations of dreams. And Joseph says, no, 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 not in me. I'm giving God the glory for this kind of thing. And in the end, brethren, Pharaoh even recognizes that it's not Joseph, but it is God who is the one behind it. And God is properly receiving the glory because Joseph refused to take it for himself. There's another example of this in the Scripture. Another man who's also interpreting dreams. Go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Undoubtedly, Daniel learned his ways from Joseph. Listen to this. Daniel 2, right? And you think, remember what's taking place here, right? Um, Daniel's brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who has had these dreams. And the king says to him in, in chapter 2, verse 26, 
Um, the king says, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? So this is the call upon Daniel. Now, notice Daniel's response in 27 and 28. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. There is a God in heaven, Nebuchadnezzar, who can do what it is that you're asking for. And, and just as with Joseph, Daniel reiterates over and over. It's not just a sufficient just one time to make clear that it's God's glory. But Daniel over and over again makes this known just as it was with Joseph, right? He goes on further in verse 29 and 30. And um, at, the, at the end of verse 29 there, look what he says. And he, this is speaking of God, he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Now look what, look what he says about himself. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king. You see this, brethren. Daniel is saying, it's not me. I am not to be glorified in this thing. He ends his interpretation in verse 45 by saying, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And brethren, what do you know? Very similar situation as it was with Joseph. Daniel gives the glory to God and eventually Nebuchadnezzar gives the glory to God. Verse 47, look at this. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Daniel, brethren, refuses to steal God's Glory, And as, as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, Daniel's light is shown forth before the king, and the king gives glory to the Father in heaven. Now we have a couple New Testament examples. First one is in Acts chapter 3. Acts 3, we get another example here with the disciples, Peter and John. So if you remember, they're, they're going up to the temple for prayer, and they see a man who's lame at this gate, a man who's not been able to walk since birth. And Peter ends up speaking to this man, and he says to him, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. The man is miraculously healed. But here's what I want you to see. Later it says, chapter 3, verse uh, 11, that all these people, they're, they're astounded. And they come, to, they, they come running to, to John and Peter. 
And then Peter addresses them in verse 12. Here's what Peter says. And Peter saw it. He addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. And then he goes on in verse 16. And he gives the glory, brethren, where it is properly to be attributed. And he says, in his name, this is Jesus he's referencing, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the glory here is now being properly attributed to Jesus Christ. Peter and John refuse to touch it. And then once more again, Peter is sure to give the glory where it belongs. Later in chapter 4, they're interrogated by these Jewish leaders. And he's asked in in Chapter 4, verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this, right? And Peter responds, look at verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This is a man, brethren, who will not put out his hand to touch God's glory. And yet another example. Very similar scene, actually, in Acts 14. This one involving Paul. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas refuse to steal God's glory. In Acts 14, starting in verse 8, you see this scene start to Take place. There's this crippled man from birth, and uh, Paul says to him in verse 10, Stand up, stand upright on your feet. And the man gets up miraculously, begins to walk, right? And in verse 11, we see this thing kind of begin to take a different shape. Verse 11, this is what it says. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes. In verse 13, in in the same chapter here, we're told that the, the priest of Zeus comes out, and he wants to offer sacrifices to these men Amongst the crowds. And what happens, brethren? Paul is horrified at the sight. It says that he tears his clothes. He rushes into the crowd and he addresses them in verse 15. Here's what he says. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them. Brethren, Paul refuses to receive glory and praise from these men. And instead, he he directs them to the proper place of glory, the living God, who made them and everything else. Now listen, I, 
I show you these examples because I want you to see how it is for the godly. What do they do? This is a proper example for us to walk in. The godly brethren are always ready to give God the glory. And, and here's the question for us, right? Is this the disposition of your own heart? Brethren, in short, are you not willing to touch the glory of God? Or, placing yourself in these scenarios, how would it have played out? Would you have done the same things that these men did? Or would you have been happy to receive the glory yourself? Now look, we read of Paul and Barnabas, and these people wanted to offer, offer sacrifices to them. And, and maybe such bold things like that can strike you as, <laughs> um, that's impossible for me to succumb to. I mean, if I'm outside on the street, some guy comes up and tries to offer me, offer a sacrifice to my name, I'm not letting him do that. And that might be true. Maybe all of us would indeed stop someone from offering sacrifices to us. However, brethren, that is not the only way in which people put out their hand to touch God's glory. Brethren, are you happy to receive the praise of men and not properly reattribute them to God? How about this, brethren? This is a way to steal God's glory. Are you willing to let others think too highly of you? To think of you in such a way that you know for sure you are not? That is a way to steal God's glory. If God has allowed you to be useful in some way in the church, whether that's teaching or service or giving or, or whatever it is, brethren, and the people come to praise you for such things, what is your demeanor? Are you, are you internally pleased with yourself? Is your pride bolstered? Believe that somehow you're, you're, you're higher and better due to your own spiritual knowledge or your own piety, and by such you fail to give glory to God? Brethren, I'm telling you there is every reason to examine this, to examine your heart in it. There's every reason, brethren, to look into your heart and be certain that God's glory is far more important than your own. Because I can tell you this, we can go to the Scriptures too. And there's examples, brethren, of the opposite. And I will tell you, it does not go well for those who do touch God's glory. There's a great danger in this, brethren. Can you think of examples in the Bible? People who put out their hand and steal God's glory? Huh? Saul? Explain that. Very true. Sure. Yeah. Uzzah. Huh? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to look at him. Any others? Herod. We're going to look at him too. Let's look at this one first. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar. Certainly an example of such things. We see him 
succumb to this, this great sin in Daniel chapter 4. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is warned by Daniel that if he does not repent, a great judgment is going to come upon him. And we see this develop here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. I'm going to read 28 through 33. So look at this with me. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. This is that judgment that Daniel had told him. If you don't repent, this is coming. And it came. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, it's interesting. I'm just noting this now. The king answered and said, I wonder who's there, who he's talking to. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power is a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Here is a man, brethren, who's, who's put in this position by God. As, as Daniel says earlier in, in chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. God does this kind of thing. And yet this Nebuchadnezzar glorifies himself. He proclaims that it is by his own might that Babylon has been built. And even further he says that it is for the glory of His majesty. This is, of course, brethren, bold-faced highway robbery. He has broken into God's house, and He intends to steal what rightly belongs to God. The glory of God's majesty. And God will not have it. Nebuchadnezzar will not go unpunished. He's cast out to live like a wild man. And all glory is stolen from him. Nebuchadnezzar is out in the wilderness looking like a wild animal. He has no glory to be spoken of anymore because he sought to steal God's. But of course we know, right, by God's grace, this man is, is brought back and, and brought to his senses. And he, and he does indeed come to see the truth. Look at, look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all His works are right and His ways are just. Now look at what He says. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. Brother, those who try and steal God's glory will be left 
with none of their own to speak of. And another, as someone said, Herod, Acts chapter 12. Here's, this is another man who, who commits such a grave error, brethren. Look at what takes place. Acts 12, I'm going to read 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not a man! Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. What a scene, brethren. I mean, this can't be more clear. Herod, right? He comes in, he puts on his pompous robe, he sits on his throne, he gives his sermon of sorts, and the people begin to praise him. And we know, because it says explicitly here, that he did not give the glory to God. And now this man, he's guilty. He's guilty of breaking the eighth commandment. He's become a thief of the worst kind. And, and unlike, brethren, in the Old Covenant, if you committed robbery, you stole from someone, you could give it back and give them extra, pay some kind of restitution. This is not the case here. There's no paying back God for this kind of robbery. Herod has to pay with his life. And once again, brethren, just as it was with Nebuchadnezzar, God strips Herod of all perceived glory. He put his hand out to try to steal glory from God. And God made this man into nothing but worm food. That's what he's left with. No glory at all of his own. And this is why, brethren, I'm telling you, we must take this dead serious. God does not play with his glory. He will not have it stolen from him. It is a dangerous thing to put out your hand to touch God's glory. And so, brethren, my, my plea is that you would <laughs> you'd leave it be. Let God have His glory. Why? Because, because He's worthy of it. It's the proper place for it. Make a determination that in all that you do, you give God the glory. I mean, remember those words, the quote I said at the beginning, right? God wouldn't trust you with much if He knew you would not steal His glory. I want 1 Timothy 1, 17 to be this, this banner over our life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever.